welcome to the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kristen O'Brien, a longtime friend of mine who is on her second cold start practice. We talk about risks and taking uh, advantage of the opportunities that present themselves to us, being prepared for those opportunities as well. I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. As always, please join the conversation, leave a comment, share the episode with a friend, give us a review, leave us five stars, and of course, support those who support us. In the past, our focus revolved around prescribing MacuHealth or MacuHealth Plus to patients at risk of macular degeneration, while also recommending it to collegiate and professional athletes for enhanced contrast sensitivity and sports performance. However, this year's introduction of the Life Meter has been a game changer. The Life Meter revealed a concerning truth. Many of my patients have alarmingly low skin carotenoid levels, indicating potential deficiencies in essential body tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, LifeMeter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness has been demonstrated across 2,000 subjects with diverse backgrounds. With this newfound insight, I can now have meaningful conversations about carotenoid levels with all of my patients, even those who may seem outwardly healthy. To learn more about this empowering technology, feel free to contact your MacuHealth representative or click on the link in the show notes. Together, let's optimize patient care and elevate their well-being. As doctors of optometry, we cannot do what we do without our team. And para-optometrics are allied health professionals who assist us in providing the highest level of vision care to our patients. We at iCode Education want to support you and your team in the para-optometric certification process, which is why not only do we have resources available, training resources available for your team to help prepare them for the test, but we also have a discount code specifically for the Aaron Warner podcast listeners, which gives you $100 off for 12 months. So you can use the code AWP2024, that's AWP2024, to get $100 off for a 12 months code. We'll put the link in the show notes, but you can visit icodeeducation.com and search for para-optometric training to see what those courses are like. Kristen, you uh, just told me you are done with patient care. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. And well, Friday afternoon for you, Friday uh, at noon for me. So <laughs> very cool. It's ready, ready to hit the weekend. Absolutely. Thanks nice. so much for having me, Aaron. Oh, of course. Um, we actually planned this a while back. I've been excited and looking forward to this conversation uh, because I think it hits on a lot of things that entrepreneurs uh, inherently, I think we know, but maybe we don't fully internalize until we're in uh, in this spot. Um, and that is risk. But before we jump into risk, I want you to introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I am Dr. Kristen O'Brien. I practice in Denver, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. I have a cold start uh, going on almost three years. It'll be three years in April. Uh, this is my second cold start practice. I opened my first practice right out of optometry school with the help of two partners in Denver, Colorado. So I've done two practices in Denver, it's just different parts of the country. Um, let's see, I am a vision source administrator and I am the uh, director of marketing and analytics for iCare Advisors, which uh, if people didn't listen to your podcast with Bob Steinmetz is a cold start consulting company. And I've had the privilege of working with them for uh, almost seven years now. So it's uh, it's been a good journey. Very cool. Well, I know you well, but I will tell you it's still, the Denver still throws me off. I have to remind <laughs> myself that you are not the Denver Denver that I'm thinking of. You're your Denver East Coast. Well, I throw people off even further because I still have my Denver 303 phone number. So uh, that even just adds a little bit more confusion to the mix. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, let's jump all the way back to uh, to you as a student, uh, because even as a student, I think you were always trying to, to think outside the box. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you were the private practice club president. At, and where did you go to school? Michigan College of Optometry. Yep. Graduated in 2013. And yeah, I founded the uh, Michigan Optometric Student Private Practice Association at Michigan College of Optometry. And then uh, along with uh, 13 other private practice club presidents from across the country, helped found what became the Student Optometric Leadership Network or Solution, which is the parent organization now to all of the private practice clubs at all the optometry schools. Nice. A lot of names, a lot of acronyms, uh, but, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'm glad you said that I was going to butcher it. Um, <laughs> but, and that, that group is still going incredibly strong. Right. It the, sure uh, is. Yeah, group. it's meant to be student led. And um, we uh, did a, a really great job getting it set up so that the um, uh, the turnover from year to year uh, was as seamless as possible. And I, I was slightly concerned over COVID because a lot of the clubs uh, along themselves were um, uh, not able to meet in person. And so um, I was very happy to see that the, the leadership continued to to keep the private practice club alive. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very important group, very cool group, and we've had the privilege of hosting them down at, uh, at Vision Source in, in Houston, Texas, and meeting with them. Really, a lot of just really cool, they're not kids, I want to say kids, but a lot of really neat, young, uh, soon-to-be doctors that are going to make a, a huge impact in our profession. So appreciate Absolutely. you and your colleagues setting that up um, and, and watching it go forward. So starting from, from there... I don't think you were really risking a whole lot of, of money, but certainly time and time as a student is a luxury that is in short supply, especially when you're getting ready to study for boards. Mm -hmm. The What did that look like when you were trying to put that group together with all the different, uh, all the other private practice club presidents? You know, um, I have always had a problem uh, filling my plate too full. Um, <laughs> that is That has always been constant with me. Um, but when you love, when your hobbies are what you do for a living, it makes what other cons other people consider work um, just enjoyable. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it was it was risk from a time perspective, but it was also how I enjoyed spending my free time. And that may sound really nerdy. Anybody who knows knew me in school knows that I was not the scholastic uh, achiever necessarily. Um, and so maybe I should have spent more time in that regard, but Hey, I've got that OD after my name and patients seem to care for me. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. And uh, funny when I graduated optometry school, my dad, who's an optometrist looked at me and said, congratulations. In three years, you'll be a doctor. There so you go. Dad, I'm a, I'm a doctor now. And he laughed and he said, we'll talk in three years. And in three years, I understood <laughs> what he meant that it's not just about getting the right answer on a test, but it's understanding all the different nuances in our world and certainly how to deal with people, which I continue to learn on a daily basis. Absolutely. Um, cool. So the, so really it, it, it sounds a lot less like you're a risk taker and more like you're an opportunity seeker, right? Looking for opportunities, look to make things better and, uh, and then going down that path. So after school, uh, you graduated and then opened your, your first practice in Denver, Colorado, Denver. Mm -hmm. area. Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So when I was a second year in optometry school, um, two doctors, both out of Kansas, Dr. Mark Walmeyer and Seth Tebow, who are um, college buddies, um, were kind of looking at a way to invest in a new graduate instead of, you know, investing more in the stock market, which you're never really sure which way that's going to go. They decided to invest in a business that they knew. Um, so both are optometrists. And um, so essentially, they started um, the build out of this Gold Start practice while I was doing my ex last externship in Denver, Colorado. I in intentionally set that up so I could be there, uh, move out there once. Um, and so uh, banks are not going to loan to uh, a new grad who hasn't even graduated yet. Um, and so uh, I was very fortunate that uh, to have my partners, not only for the financial backing, but also the know-how. I mean, they became very close mentors of mine that I still keep in touch with to this day. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was definitely very humbling going from still being a student to interviewing my employees and not only my staff employees, but, um, you know, a, a, an associate doctor to fill in while I was waiting for my Colorado license. Um, so that was very, very humbling. And I, I had a, a lot of, a lot of lessons early on of, cause I went straight from being a student to being a, a boss. And, um, I, I definitely relied heavily on my mentors as well as what I learned, um, from the private practice club teachings, going to the vision source exchange as a student, um, and sitting in on all those business classes. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to be in private practice. And so I figured, well, might as well do it the way that I want to do it from the very beginning. So, oh, I love it. And, uh, and you bring up an interesting point when, for those of us who, who do take risks, who do take advantage of opportunities. And while on the outside, it looks like we're doing it by ourselves 
I think a lot of the heavy lifting is done by us individually. There's a network that we tend to build behind us and support us, um, like Seth and Mark, and well, honestly, what you guys are doing now with iCare Advisors as well. Mm-hmm. Right? How important in the, those first couple of years right out of school really is that mentorship group, that support group that you have? Oh, completely invaluable. Um, had I had eye care advisors when I opened up my first cold start practice, um, I would have been light years ahead. Um, I think proof is in the pudding with my second cold start growing um, significantly faster than my first one did um, by about 200%. Um, oh, wow. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I relied heavily on my dad for his um, acumen on, on how to deal with people. Uh, as you mentioned, that's a huge one not just the, the, the team that you have, um, that are, you know, you're employing, but also, um, just learning how to better read patients. I mean, um, outside of getting the right diagnosis is, you know, how to properly you know, talk to patients and communicate and handle, uh, handle issues. So, I mean, I had built over the years, um, at least a dozen people that all had strengths in different areas that I reached out to, uh, probably more so than they would have wanted, I guess, in the beginning. Um, and I'm really happy that I've been able to continue to do that and pass that along uh, with the eye care advisor clients who are, um, you know, coming from multiple different types of practice into private practice. Some of them have been in VAs and have never had to bill managed vision care before, um, you know, and never had to deal with an optical, really. Some of them are coming from commercial practice. Um, and some are coming from, you know, being an associate in a private practice, but never having to worry about the business side of things. So, um, kind of getting to turn the page and become one of those mentors with IQ advisors has, um, been really fulfilling for sure. Nice. The, you said you, your, your current cold start practice, right. In, yes. uh, in Denver, North Carolina, Denver, the, which uh, is Denver eye care, <laughs> which is Denver eye care and the, uh, where you're at now, it, you said you, you grew significantly faster, 200% faster. Mm-hmm. Why? What, what did you do differently? What lessons did you put into place? Uh, uh, was it just right place, right time that the people in Denver, North Carolina just needed eye care that much? Like what was the difference between the, your first go around and what you learned and what you implied here or applied here? Yeah, I don't think it's just one thing. Um, I think it's multiple factors. Um, the first one for sure is making sure that you choose a location that is obviously demographic valuable, right? So running geospatial analytics through um, vision source and eye care advisors helped me determine that this particular area not only had the demographic to support it, but really needed it. So that was definitely one key factor. Another key factor is, you know, exactly what type of building to have. In my first practice, um, it was on the second story of a medical office building and really wasn't retail focused per se. Um, Now we had a lot of other medical disciplines in the building, which co-managed with one another, which was fantastic. Um, But it wasn't just a place that somebody would walk by and go, oh, I'm going to pop in there. Whereas this practice is um, in a public shopping center and um, on one side of us is a crafty burger and there's dog supply stores and dog grooming and UPS uh, and then, you know, the main grocery store. So we have people come to walk in and go, oh, I thought this was crafty burger, but oh, you guys sell glasses here. Oh, this is really cool. And so um, that's definitely helped as well. Um, using the eye care advisor um, roadmap. Uh, was huge. I mean, especially for people who have never done a cold start before. And for me, this was the first cold start I had done on my own as the sole Mm -hmm. owner without partners that were heavily invested um, and did a lot of the front work for me. Um, So that was definitely a game changer from multiple perspectives. I think the biggest thing that was different from what I did first versus last um, is who I hired and why I hired them. Um, learning how to manage people, what people you work well with, um, is a big, big difference. Um, when I was new to optometry and new to being a doctor and new to private practice, I hired people who had great skills, but maybe I didn't care for them as people and maybe they didn't have the best personalities. Uh, and so the old adage of, you know, hire for personality and train for skill has definitely been a, a huge thing that I have incorporated into this practice. And 
I'm happy to say that my first hire is still with me two and a half years later. She started out at no experience in the front desk and is now our lead optician and gave up doing her master's in, in psychology uh, to make this her, her full-fledged uh, uh, career path. So um, awesome. it's been it's been great. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I love that adage. I, uh, uh, I've always heard it put as the hire the... Um, uh, the don't hire the miser or the uh, what is it? Oh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jumble my words. Um, hire the uh, don't hire the miserable genius. Hire the happy idiot. Right? Yep. Um, exactly. And I, I think you put a little bit nicer. I told that to my staff once, and they all looked around and I said, "What are you guys looking at?" And they said, "We're trying to figure out who the idiot is." I said, "No, <laughs> you're you're all happy geniuses now." Uh, yep. But uh, but yeah, no personality is 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 definitely a. Um, something to, to look for. I've also found that in my initial hires and I didn't have the luxury of, of or the, the joy of starting a cold practice. I joined my dad's practice and took over managing. Um, but I found that I initially hired people that were like me, that thought like me, it reinforced me who I was. Um, but the, the real genius was in hiring people that thought exactly opposite. Mm -hmm. The obviously happy people and good personalities, but those who thought and saw the world almost completely differently than I did. That way we were able to keep each other in check and then see perspectives and appreciate perspectives that, that you know, we didn't have individually. Absolutely. Have you seen that as well? For sure. Um, personality testing is a big part of our hiring process. Really? Um, there's a lot of them out there. Um, and we do a couple of different ones. Um, Working Genius is one of them. The, mm -hmm. Um, the, the easy one that I do upon initial screening is the four animal tests, the beaver, otter, golden retriever, and I'm missing one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that, that that all makes a huge difference in who you hire, as well as making sure that you, you know, you resonate well with your demographic, too. I mean, at, in Colorado, um, I, I you know, was single, didn't have a family. And I was in an area that had, that was pretty much all moms and dads and kids. Um, and so I was the the newbie and it, I couldn't, I couldn't relate to, to being a mom. I, I, you know, so in this practice, um, I actually opened the doors to my cold start, second cold start practice, seven months pregnant. I, I signed the lease two weeks before I found out I was pregnant. So um, I was uh, very quickly throughout. I say I had two babies in the in the same year. I had my Denver Eye Care and I had my my daughter Emma. Um, but uh, I found that that connection to patients of of being a mom and knowing what it's like to be up at all hours of the night and um, really helped me connect with my patient base even better than I had ever before. Um, and I also think that that, that helped with the, the massive growth of, of this practice too. Yep. No, life experience definitely uh, helps in being relatable. Um, yep. I don't know if I'd recommend getting pregnant just to be able to. No, no. But <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but it, it, it makes a difference. I remember the day I turned uh, 40, I was so excited because I could finally tell patients that I'm, I'm 40. Mm -hmm. I'm just like you. I'm having trouble seeing right. up close as well. I wasn't just a young dumb kid. And as soon as I started going gray, my wife said, are you going to diet? I said, absolutely not. The grayer I am, the smarter I am. Right. I have severe accommodative spasms. So I've been in a progressive lens since I was 22. And so, um, you know, I welcome people to the progressive club every day. Uh, and it, that's definitely being able to speak to the technology and the changes in the lenses. Oh, you hated progressive lenses 10 years ago. Well, let me tell you how it's changed. Um, it's definitely uh, helpful for sure. Nice, and I like that the Progressive Club. I almost you almost need a little sticker badge you can. Oh yeah, lapel pin or something. It's a joint, right? Yeah, let's let's for talk about member. that. Make a little uh, make a little lapel pin badge. So, <laughs> um, so opening a practice, I don't think I realized that you had signed right before you found out you were pregnant. I knew you were opening while you were pregnant. The uh, it, it, certainly that involves a lot of risk, um, just yeah. in time management and everything else. The, did you see it as, Hey, this is a risky venture or did you have a different mindset? I mean, yeah, there's always risk in anything that you do, but just like Bob Steinmetz said on your last podcast, um, that was released not too long ago. He said the best, the best risk that you can take is betting on yourself. Um, so I knew I had done it once and done it well. So, uh, and I help other people do it every day. Um, and so I, I, figured why not continue to, to 
do it for myself now that, you know, we'd been able to move to the area and, and really determine that this was where we could see ourselves long-term. Very cool. And now continuing that, that thread of, of looking at opportunities and taking risks, um, what prompted the whole discussion here was you told me at end of last year that you are branching into a, another unique unoptometry related venture. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. Um, so uh, the neighbor to the other side of my Denver eye care suite um, was formerly a dog grooming supply, a dog grooming uh, facility that was owned by a major corporation that I, I don't want to name because um, they didn't treat us very well. Um, but they they not only had their big brick and mortar stores, but they also had single location grooming salons. And um, that company um, is is currently having some bankruptcy issues. And so they decided to close nationwide all of their single location grooming salons. Um, and so when I saw the store closing sign go up, my first instinct was, well, I'm contacting the landlord because maybe I need to expand into that suite, right? I was thinking, all right, let's Let's get my esthetician, uh, her own dry ice, uh, you know, uh, esthetician salon going on over there, med spa. And so I, I reached out to the landlords and they said, no, like this location for grooming was so significantly successful that that because of all the plumbing and everything that went into it, we want to keep it a dog grooming supply or dog grooming salon. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, on occasion, I will hear the dogs bark next door. So if you hear that pop up, uh, just so you know. But um, so I just left it at that. And then um, about a week later, I had a dream that some friends of mine actually went into business together and reopened the dog grooming salon. And so I texted them and I was like, haha, I guess what I dreamed last night. And um, about an hour later, they were both calling and texting me and saying, actually, that sounds like a really good idea. We should do it. And within a week, we had an LLC formed, an LOI in with the landlords. And because they knew I was a good tenant, um, they they didn't even consider any of the other people who had been interested. And um, so essentially, yeah, that's how I got into the dog grooming business. Um, I don't do any of the day-to-day -day stuff next door other than put out fires with human resources stuff that needs to, because yeah. I'm physically here. Um, and then I handle all the business side of things, which when you know how to read a P&L and handle QuickBooks and payroll and things like that, it easily translate from one business to the other. Uh, and then my business partner, um, who has experience as a vet tech spouse, is a dog professional dog trainer. They're very much so engrossed in the dog community, um, and so they they more so run the day to day. But um, yeah, that's how that's how Shampooch's Groomery of Denver uh, was started. Shampooch's, I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shampooch's Groomery of Denver. The uh, what I love about that, I remember when talking with you and and you kind of just dropped the bomb, said, "Hey, by the way, I'm." Uh, I'm I've got a dog grooming business now and uh said what <laughs> you just you just opened you know three years ago uh your business and now you're you're branching out um but then thinking about it 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 makes perfect sense right you see an opportunity you take the opportunity you've built the the skill set and the you know luck shines on those who are prepared and who are ready and just applying what you know and the business knowledge whatnot uh, is fantastic. Uh, has it helped the optometry business? I'm curious. Is is there uh, some crossover? Yeah, we, cross, we cross refer each one another. Um, so I mean, you know, when I sent out my holiday notice to all my patients, you know, I shamelessly gave a plug to the dog grooming salon and just said, we love our new neighbors. They've got, you know, some, some great dog groomers over there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, there's been a little bit back and forth. Um, most people don't know that I, that I'm one of the, one of the partners. Um, mm -hmm. but if they ask, I'm certainly not keeping it a yeah. secret. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I'll be over next door and they'll see me and they'll be like, you're in the wrong suite. I was like, well, actually I, I own this yeah. too. Um, so, uh, it's been fun and we, this is such a growing community. So I often get patients that are like, yeah, I just moved here a year, you know, a, a month ago from most of them are either from New York, New Jersey, or Midwest, um, trying to get out of the snow. And, uh, so they'll say, okay, I need a dentist. I need a pediatrician. I need, you know, an orthodontist. I need, uh, you know, a hairstylist. I need yeah, all of these things. Yeah. And so one of the things on my list is, and do you have dogs? <laughs> like, so, yeah. um, it's, it's been good. And I will say, 
Um, it's rather convenient having two businesses right next door to one another because if I need it, I can just pop back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my other thought, and you mentioned that you have a, an esthetician and, and uh, uh, you know a dry business uh, within mm-hmm. your practice, which is impressive three years out. Um, mm-hmm. Most practices, the cash flow wise, it's tough to bring in the necessary equipment and the people for mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think most of us, when we went into to private practice, own private practice, we don't necessarily see ourselves as as just routine primary care docs. We 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 have our own interests, whether it's dry eye or um, or specialty contact lenses, you know, maybe retina, whatever the case may be. Right? We that's how we see ourselves. And I've seen too many try to, young practices try to get into that mode too quickly, mm-hmm. and haven't paced themselves. Uh, certainly, within three years, they haven't opened additional businesses as well, right? Whether it's another practice or a dog grooming or whatnot. Walk us through the, the your mindset um, and where why you thought you were ready at each of those stages to bring in the the, the dry med spa um, esthetician, and then why you were ready to to jump on the dog grooming opportunity. Yeah, so our esthetician does our IPL treatments, and then she also is a a tech as well, but she is a licensed esthetician and happened to be one of our patients um, prior to hiring her. Um, North Carolina is very specific in their um, rules and regulations as far as optometry um, providing aesthetic services, which is why doing a suite next door as a med spa was very intriguing to me because it is yep. difficult to do it in your own office. Um, so we we are strictly treating dry eye on the face yep. um, with the IPL. But um, I graduated loving low vision um, and not many people love low vision. So I thought no. what a great specialty to have. Yeah. Um, I have not since I graduated done a single low vision exam ever. Um, my practice in Colorado, um, we were actually very close to the university um, hospital that had a fantastic low vision clinic. And so it, I just didn't need to do low vision. And my patient base was very dry eye heavy and very specialty contact lens focused heavy. Um, so that's kind of where I, I shifted my gears because my patients demanded it. And then in Colorado, in North Carolina, um, I started off purely primary care. I had an optos, but I um, I didn't start off with an OCT. I did add a topographer, um, and I didn't start off with any uh, necessary dry eye testing per se. And I just waited to see what my patient base needed. Um, dry eye is becoming nationwide, not just in certain areas. Very very big, and my patient base definitely demanded it. And so um, I. Uh, I was very conscious about referring out to other colleagues who had the equipment that I didn't have. And I just kind of kept track of, of who I referred out. And um, where I'm situated is along um, a lake and people hate going to the other side of the lake um, due to traffic. And um, so, you know, I had ended up accumulating about 20, 25 patients who were like, yeah, I want to do this, but I'm not driving across the lake uh, to, to get that done. Um, and so just crunching the numbers, I mean, d- making decisions within your practice that makes sense financially, you, you've got to be able to calculate the return on investment. And um, I've seen, uh, you know, some eye care advisor clients bring on equipment too soon um, for, for good reason, um, because it's their passion or whatnot and not be as profitable as they needed to be in the beginning. Obviously, we've never had a client fail, um, but uh, that can delay success a little bit. And so I really waited until I knew that I could, based on who I'd been referring out to my other optometry colleagues, made sure that I'd be able to cash flow. And um, we're, we've paid off about 75% of it, and I've only had it since May. Um, oh. So it, it is definitely done quite well. Um, yeah. But I also and they're think not inexpensive equipments to, uh, oh, I was going to say, they're not inexpensive well. units to invest in. So that's... Yeah. That's fantastic. Having the the patient base and being able to pay that off, you know, three years from opening and I've only had it for, mm-hmm. what are we at, uh, May, so seven months. Yep. I think a big part of that too was making sure that I had an esthetician who could do the treatments for me so it didn't take away any of my personal chair time. We had the exam room, the third exam lane we equipped so that that could be kind of our, our IPL or, or procedures room more or less. And I'm still working out of the other two exam lanes. So um, once I'm doing their fi- their dry eye evaluations and getting them on board with IPL, um, it's hands off until they're they're done with IPL. So 
um, that's also an important factor as to whether or not you're going to be the one doing it or you've got a, a trusted staff member um, who can. And not all states require a licensed esthetician. A lot of times techs do it too. Um, mm -hmm. Techs are allowed to do it here in North Carolina, um, but some doctors um, want to keep that hands-on or prefer to do it on their own. Um, so just making sure you're calculating that chair time is um, and how that's going to impact things is important. Absolutely. So what I'm hearing, and we, I told you I wanted to talk today about risk, but I'm hearing a whole lot less about, about risk and a whole lot more about just being prepared, and, and which mitigates the risk. There's always an opportunity. Um, the, not long ago we had the, the motocross guys in San Diego and, you know, watching them do all the crazy stunts on the motorcycles, which looks crazy, but I have no idea. I'm sure there's hundreds and hundreds of hours put into practicing and rehearsing and making it just right. So they're mitigating the risk looks crazy, but it's really fairly safe for, for them and their skill set. It sounds very similar to what you're describing. Right, bringing in a, a super expensive piece of equipment to do IPLs um, and, you know, what's the cash flow going to work like for that on us? But you thought through all aspects of it. What's the flow? Who's going to do it? What's the time look like? Uh, what's the expense look like? Do I already have the patient base for it? Specific patient base, not just a hypothetical patient base. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't really sound risky at all when you put it in those terms. Yeah. I mean, maybe a better term is calculated risk, right? There you go. Yeah. It's still risk, but um, when you're doing it, not because you just feel like it and you've got the data to back it up, um, it's definitely more likely to succeed. Absolutely. And the emotion and the passion is important because you, you're you not going to sell it. And I know it's a bad word in optometry. I, I think it's a necessary word, right? We're selling ourselves. We're selling the procedure. Mm -hmm. We're selling the importance of following through on whatever recommendations, in this case, IPL treatments. Mm -hmm. um, and you need that emotion and excitement, uh, but you also need to make sure that you've got the all your I's dotted and T's crossed uh, exactly. before you jump into the water. Great example would be, I really want radio frequency. Um, I, I want that yesterday. Uh, however, um, I'm, I am pregnant with our second and- um, Congratulations. We'll be out, thank you. We'll be out on maternity leave uh, towards the end of July. And I'm taking more than five weeks this time. I only took five weeks with the first Good for you. I didn't have anybody to help out. And now I've got an associate doctor doing a couple days a week. Um, so I'm going to take my time coming back. And because I'm the one that does all the dry eye stuff, it just doesn't make sense to add that in before, before I return. Um, so it goes back to, I want RF so badly. Um, <laughs> but I know in my head, it's not the wise decision to do quite yeah. yet. Patience is a virtue. Yes. So. The, um, let's talk a little bit too about, cause you, you do have an associate doctor and it, there's a couple of schools of thought that I've heard on, on cold start and owning your own business. And one of them is to, uh, hustle as much as you can before you bring somebody else in because you don't want to share any of that pie. Um, another school of thought is do what you do best and, and outsource sounds like a bad term. I'm going to use it though, but outsource what can be done by somebody else. Yep. And in, in this case, and I fall on the latter side, right? If you're the CEO, if you're the, the visionary, if you're the, the, the CFO, COO, and often we wear all those hats, right? Being a doctor really in that whole scheme is the easiest part. Yep. And so bringing in an associate doctor to do the doctoring and, um, and so you can focus on the rest. How, at what point did you bring in uh, your associate doctor and what made you decide, hey, now is the right time to do so? So she started the end of October of 2023. So she's only been with me a little, almost a little over two months, two and a half months. Um, okay. And really for me, it got to the point where um, I was seeing patients five days a week. I'm also a vision source administrator. I also work for eye care advisors. I'm also writing, our, I write articles for optometric management. I'm on the editorial board. And so it became that on my Mondays that I wasn't seeing patients, I was scheduling all my calls and I, I did not have enough time to, to make things happen. I was, you know, answering emails still very late at night. And um, I started to feel like I was not being able to be my best at all of those things. Um, and if, for anybody who knows me, I like to do things as perfectly as possible. Mm -hmm. And so not being able to have enough to spread across um, especially, I mean, time and, and dedication to the family, right? I mean, I'm yeah. very lucky that my husband stays home. And so 
I never have to, you know, worry that my daughter's not getting the best care possible. Um, but, you know, still, I, you know, even if I was home and she's sitting next to me, stumbling on the couch, watching it, you know, a cartoon, I'm, I'm on my phone. And so um, I decided that with, with that being an issue, as well as um, we were booking out pretty far um, and people are very impatient and do not want to wait um, for exams. And so I decided to, um, I was seeing patients Tuesday through Saturday. And so I decided to bring on an associate doc to pick up Mondays and then um, she took my Wednesdays. So okay. um, I started having Wednesdays as um, sort of either admin day or um, if I didn't have a lot of admin work, then just an extra family day um, that I could kind of shift some things to. Um, and that's been really helpful. And so in preparing for baby number two and the fact that my associate doctor, she and her husband own a vision works um, in the South Charlotte area. And so they're kind of building that up. Um, and she had already prepared me in advance that she could probably give me about a year or so. Um, so I am in the process of hiring another associate doc who will be having a baby uh, a week, a month before I have a baby. Um, so when she comes back from maternity leave, she'll be doing three days a week. Um, and my associate doc will be doing two days a week while I'm out. And then when I come back, I'm just going to, I'm going to do three and my associate, my newer associate is going to be doing three. And I think, um, especially with having two babies, at least at this point in my career and personal life, I think, I think that'll be good. And that'll allow me to, who knows, maybe we'll have, you know, multiple more shampoos, groomeries, or, you know, another, my, my office team is, is begging me to open up a new practice in uh, a town just a little north of us. Um, that is not very far geographically, but with traffic is enough of a drive that it's a yeah. completely different patient base necessarily. And um, one of our technicians will be graduating from Nova in two years. So, um, you know, we got to make sure we've got a place for her too. So I, that, that is fantastic. I, hopefully you have a giant whiteboard to keep track of all this. Cause that, <laughs> right. uh, I was in my mind, I was drawing all the connections. Um, uh, you do a really good job of, um, forecasting. Oh, and I don't you. know if you do that from a, from a, a, a financial base, uh, that's on my goals this year. Um, so far. 12 days into the year, I haven't done anything with it. Um, I want to be a better financial forecaster for the business, but as far as, is where people need to be in personnel and the right, you just walked us through a masterclass in, in just it, moving all those necessary pieces. Um, when often small business is just putting out fires, you know, we don't pay attention until somebody leaves and oh my goodness, you know, they're going to be gone next week. Now I got to solve the problem. You've already uh, thought about it and started working to address it. That's impressive. Thank you very much. Yeah, I really, I enjoy creating and, um, and growing things, whether that's optometry, whether that's, you know, helping my team be better uh, in their own careers uh, and personal lives, whether that's multiple businesses um, or whatnot. I, I just like creating and seeing things grow. It's, yep. it's so rewarding to me. When did you figure out that that was your passion? I don't know. I mean, I was always so involved in the organizations and undergrad and optometry school and everything. I'm not sure that I actually ever put a name to it until right now, Aaron. I don't know okay. if I ever, if I'd ever actually articulated that outside of like inside my own head uh, before. Yeah. So maybe uh, on this podcast, Aaron, on the, it's a out. first. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I think it's important that we all find that it's uh I found, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember it, having the awakening moment, being in the exam room and just enjoying seeing patients, but feeling like I, something was missing, that there was, this wasn't what I was supposed to do. Um, I'm good at seeing patients, but uh, similar to you, I like building things. I like growing things and I, I can help one person at a time every half hour, or I can try to help more people on a bigger scale and that just, that gave me more passion, which allowed me to put more of myself into that type of work. What I find is interesting is that I don't think I've ever had, I never had to pursue any of those opportunities for myself. I always just kind of found them um, or they found me, I guess. So, you know, being involved in the Vision Source Next program early on back when Walt West was involved with Vision Source, I mean, 
I, I fell into that. I didn't go looking for it. Same thing with eye care advisors. I mean, I, I've told Bob and Eric, you know, before they, they would meet with me for about, I don't know, six months or so at multiple conferences and just ask me a ton of questions about my cold start. And I never really knew why, because eye care advisors wasn't necessarily a, a thing yet. And, mm-hmm. um, so when they asked me to join their team, I was like, oh, that's why you've been asking me all these questions. Like, I, I didn't really know. So, um, it, you know, and then having the opportunity to move into a vision source administrator role. I mean, all, none of those things were things I sat in optometry school and said, I want to do this, this and this. I never thought I'd speak at optometry schools. I hated public speaking. I, I became good at it. Um, but I did it as a favor, uh, to somebody, uh, I spoke for the first time at the, uh, Oklahoma college of optometry private practice club, the January who goes to Oklahoma in January, the January <laughs> after I graduated. And I thought I have absolutely nothing that these students, you know, I'm, I'm still, I feel still felt like I was one of them. Yeah. Um, so in optometry school, I never thought that I'd do any of that. All, my only goal in optometry school is I wanted to own my own practice. And that was, that was about where it was. And all the other things I think is what's so amazing about our, our profession is that you can take it in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. You don't just have to see patients, but if that's your passion, you can make a great living just seeing patients. Oh, um, yeah. So that's what keeps it fun and interesting. It, it does keep it fun. And uh, the, we've got four docs in our office. Uh, you know, my dad would, would the idea of not seeing patients and doing the administrative type of stuff that I do uh, is nails on a chalkboard to him. He, he lives to be in the exam room with his patients. Um, my business partner, Brittany loves research, loves working with patients, loves being, you know, in the trenches, trenches, if you will. And, um, and, and I love doing what I do. So I think it's important that we all, we all find that. Um, you made an interesting comment that you weren't looking for any of those. Um, have you ever heard of the red car principle or the no. red car theory? So mm-hmm. if, uh, Driving into work today, how many red cars did you see? No idea. Yeah, probably a handful, right? Yep. But you, you, it wasn't in your mind looking for them. Driving home from work today, you're going to notice a bunch of red cars True. because now it's in your mind. So thinking, hey, I want to be own my own business, just having the mindset of where you want to be uh, opens those doors of poss- opportunities because they're always there. I believe they're always there for all of us. But if you're not looking, you just walk right past mm-hmm. it. It's yeah, like all the red cars that we one. pass by. So mm-hmm. I think you opened those doors for yourself because you were maybe not actively looking for them, but you were looking in that direction. You were surrounding yourself with those type of people, with that type of idea and, uh, and paying attention to those. So, well, thank you. That's a great way of cool. looking at it. Um, the, I've got, uh, speaking of students, and I know you work with the now, uh, still with the students, but also with the, the eye care advisors and the cold starts that a lot of those are young docs that have been in the, you know, out for only a handful of years. What have you noticed, uh, from a, or what can you share with us, uh, older generations and docs? Like what, what are the new students? What are these new grads? What are these new young docs looking for? What, you know, what, what, what speaks to them? Um, how can we help welcome them into the profession? How can we welcome them into, welcome them into private practice, maybe into our own offices? What, what is this generation hungry for? Yeah, I think um, a, a volume or two ago of optometric management, I actually wrote an article about this specific topic because it's, it's really important um, to uh, cool. go we will back. We'll link as- that in the show notes. I'm going to make sure I get that from you. <laughs> that way we can all go back and read it. <laughs> um, the, to, to take that a step back, what we're finding a lot of people, a lot of our clients, the reason why they're going the cold start route is, is a couple of different things. Either they've been in commercial and they're just ready to have, you know, more of it be their own and, and be their own, own their own business in that regard. Um, and that's definitely some of it. Um, but, uh, and some of it are people who've always wanted to own their own practice, but there just isn't a practice out there to purchase that is worthwhile. So I think one lesson is making sure that you are planning years in advance to either for succession of your practice or for sale of your practice, because, um, I've seen way too many practices, uh, just have to shutter their doors or sell for, for, for charts and equipment only, um, because, more or less, if you walked in, a new grad would want to redo everything. 
Um, and if you're declining because you're slowly starting to take, you know, days off of patient care, your practice isn't going to be valued at what you probably anticipated it be worth um, when you were financially planning for your exit. Um, and so for a lot of times, it's actually less expensive to start a practice from scratch across the street from a practice that has been declining and needs to be completely revamped. Um, one thing that's, you know, has been consistent even when I was in school is, you know, the, the stringing of the uh, ownership carrot along um, by owner docs to, um, I think, being very clear with associate doctors as to whether or not there's opportunity in the future for ownership is really important. As an owner, you make money off of associate doctors, so it can become very um, attractive for an owner doctor to kind of pull away from wanting to sell that portion of the practice to the associate doc because they make great money off of just having them as an employee. Yeah. Unfortunately for the associate doctors, that's really disenchanting, right? Like you've been thinking that you've been working and growing, trying to grow a practice that might eventually be yours, and then that opportunity kind of dissipates. So. Those are some of the most common reasons why we see young ODs heading towards cold starting. Um, for, you know, for those who are wanting to attract young ODs into their practice, young ODs want technology. They are used to OCTs. They are used to topography. They are used to mimography. They are used to practicing with eye care tenometry. Um, they, they are used to practicing full scope optometry, and that tends to be extremely important to them. Um, work-life balance is also huge. Um, so not only allowing for ample paid time off, but also allowing for ample unpaid time off. Um, it has become more and more a trend to do long or multiple overseas European Ibiza, you know, the whole, uh, you know, Portugal and Croatia and, yeah. and all of those countries that you can't just go to for a long weekend necessarily or it doesn't right. make sense to and so what we're finding is oh, young ODs are even if they're not being paid necessarily but having the flexibility in their scheduling to allow for that I mean maybe they're working six days a week for a while so that they could have a week or two off consecutively um, those types of flexibility schedules is is critical to them for sure and then being up to date with the, the current pay scale. I mean, what uh, what the going rate is now um, is significantly higher than when I graduated almost 11 years ago. I mean, um, it's vastly different. And mm -hmm. so um, sometimes that's a, a, a punch in the gut for uh, a, a owner ODs to, yeah. to take a peek at. And um, what do you mean you're starting off at, at that salary, you know, it, it, it took me 10 years to get to that or, or oh, something oh. along those lines. Um, that's definitely critical. And that's highly variable across the country and, and whatnot. So I, I can't really necessarily say exact numbers, but also looking at um, different types of pay. So salary isn't necessarily or daily pay isn't necessarily the most common anymore. Looking at percentage pay um, tends yeah. to be very common these days. Um, and in order to do percentage pay, you have to be really good at knowing what your practice metrics are um, to know whether or not you're offering a good or, or bad percentage. So you aren't giving away everything. Um, so those are kind of the, the main takeaways. Oh, those are interesting. The, um, some of them I had heard before, the, the unpaid time off I'd never I heard about, but uh, in those terms, but you know, the flexibility to, to explore the world. I think it's also important to remember that the, cost of going to optometry school now is significantly more mm -hmm. as a percentage of potential revenue than, yep. you know, than my dad had, you know, probably even more than you and I had, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what, what it costs today. I almost don't want to ask, but, uh, you know, I graduated, well, I graduated with well over 200,000 yeah. in student loans and that was 11 years ago. So. Yeah. I was in the very, very similar boat. So yeah, very, very interesting. It sounds just a lot, you know, being transparent and, and communication and just understanding. So technology definitely, but uh, very cool insights as to why people are, are looking to open their own practice um, in addition to, uh, to other opportunities for them. Well, Kristen, this has been fun. So I, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure knowing you for ooh, almost your, uh, your whole 11 years. 
And, yeah, uh, I think we met at Vision Source when I was a first year in optometry school. So yeah. that would have been in 2009. Um, so, nice. and then I think the first time I spoke with you was uh, with Dave Kading. Yes, it was. Uh, for the unrestricted grant on wide field technology. Uh, so, so yeah, that was a fun, uh, that was a fun lecture. It sure was. A lot of three di very different personalities and uh, we shared the stage very well together. Well, so. just like you said, you know, uh, making sure that you surround yourself with people who are, are different than you and come with different perspectives, right? Yeah, I, I distinctly remember being intimidated. I'm like, Kristen is completely polished. Oh, I'm gosh. Polished. Her, her slides are polished, like her presentation. This is buttoned up. Like, Absolutely not. I need to get my act together. That was me being a rookie going, I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. <laughs> I'm in the likes of Dave Kading and Aaron Werner. I can't mess this up. Oh, that's funny. If only Dave still had it or started his mug, uh, his mug aficionado event back then. I know, so I don't right? think we were there yet. We could all had mugs on stage. Poor so. Christy. I'm not sure where she, where she stores all of that for him. <laughs> that's fun though. I like the, uh, I like the, the daily mug. Um, for those who don't know Dave Kading, look for him on uh, on social media. He's got a mug and a story almost every day. <laughs> and most of them are pretty funny. So, but Kristen, seriously, I, I appreciate you making time for this uh, conversation. I can't wait to uh, to to see you in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, when we're out in Houston together at the same time, and to learn more and just about all the different uh, adventures you're having, and uh, been really super excited for you and your family for the little one coming this summer. Thank you very much, Aaron. It's definitely been a pleasure and, you know, appreciate all your guidance over the years. Yeah, awesome. Well, have a great day and uh, we'll catch up soon. Take care. We're really excited to invite you to join the Aaron Werner podcast on iCode Media's first live book club, where we review the book, Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Drs. Brianna Rue, Kyle Cludy, and myself are super excited to share our thoughts with you. We want you to join, share your thoughts with us, ask questions all live on Wednesday, February 21st at 4 p.m. Central Time. In the show notes of this episode, there's a link to order the book. There's also a link to join our book club live on Wednesday, February 21st at 4 p.m. Central. Look forward to seeing you there.